Hello and welcome to the Almost 30 podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Lynn and Krista. Thanks for being here as always. Thank you so much we for became, tuning in. in. If you're new, and, welcome. And you don't need to be 30 intake, or around it or anything near it. We're on the other side of 30, so and FYI. So what, what uh, but we started this when we were transitioning we, from our 20s to our 30s. Yeah, you guys fight. know that time. It, and you're we're in going it, up against an industry that has, it, um, brings in $150 one billion of great a year. So to give some perspective to that. And with the amount of money just kind of a claustrophobic. Utilized to buy and sell just found so much women and children every year. With that amount of money, you could buy in like every our relationship and our conversation. So we figured every MBA we be team and still have enough mm, money to send every American child to and college. We're excited for four about years. today's conversation. I think we can, we can sold, kind of hop into it. We've been looking forward to this uh, for about a year. And so I this think, is a yeah. huge we were scheduled amounts and then, of money, um, huge amounts Tim Ballard, of who is our guest today, had to go on missions. And it's pretty hard to keep on schedule, you know, with someone that's like traveling all over the world on mission with Operation Underground Railroad. And so we were just excited to make this one work, especially right before the move. Yeah, truly. Yeah, the last time that we scheduled him, I believe he was doing like a covert operation overseas. And yeah, I just remember that feeling of like the update from his team. And obviously we always know that these will happen in perfect timing, you know, the conversations, but I was like, wow, like this is this man's life and mission and truly, yeah, truly doing God's work. And I just couldn't help but think of the just the heaviness, you know, that he must be feeling um, as as celebratory as some of these missions can be, rescuing children from sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. I can just only imagine the emotional weight, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we got into that in the interview too, mm-hmm. you know, talking with Tim about his self-care, talking with Tim about how he keeps his strength, you know, yeah. in these moments that are just horrifying. And faith. And faith, yeah. yeah. So just a little background. So um, Operation Underground Railroad really exists, like Lindsay said, to rescue children from sex trafficking and sexual exploitation all over the world. So whether that's children being sold into sex slavery, organ harvesting, or slave labor, you know, there's over 200, 2 million uh, children all over the world who are currently slaves, mm-hmm. sex yeah. slaves, uh, work slaves or um, in the business for organ harvesting. So he works all around the world to help get these um, and rescue these victims. Yeah. And what's, what's really, really important too is that um, OUR also has a comprehensive process involving the justice, you know, justice for the perpetrators and recovery and rehabilitation for the survivors, which I think is just so incredible. And he, if you haven't watched uh, Operation Toussaint, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. He also has other documentaries coming out soon, so you can stay tuned for that. But that particular documentary uh, shares the story of, it, well, it's two, two kind of parallel stories, but he does share about when he found his now son and daughter who he ended up adopting from um, an operation where he rescued children from a fake orphanage and they were selling children um, into the sex slave trade. And so he rescued them before uh, they were sold. And and now he he's their father. And it's just a really beautiful story. And so I would absolutely recommend watching this in conjunction to listening to this interview. Yeah. And in this conversation, it's just 
we talked about a little bit behind the scenes of what goes on. And we just asked a lot of questions from our heart. And I think one of the things that I've found so interesting over the past couple of years that I've not so much, I've kind of changed my opinion on, and I've just sort of expanded my scope of understanding was actually um, related to the border, like between Mexico and the United States. And, you know, for so long I was like, okay, I was under the perception that having any sort of border control or anything at the border was saying that we were against immigration or it was like an immigration issue. But I didn't realize after doing some research and even talking with Tim that it's not so much about that, but more so about children being trafficked to and from Mexico and the United States, which is a huge place because they're illegal. So they can't be tracked in the United States. So coming to now have the understanding that a lot of times it's, not for immigration to prevent it, but it's more so to protect children from yes. from being trafficked. Because when they get to you know a border checkpoint, they have officials there who are trained to know and to pick up on any kind of strange mm-hmm. behavior. They're trained to ask you know the children questions and just kind of like there that is definitely a focus there at these border checkpoints and same i i really i changed my mind about that too and we also just talk about how the issue of sex trafficking has been politicized mm-hmm. this is not a political issue mm-hmm. you know this is a human issue and just how that has really made the work he does hard to do at times mm-hmm. not not like him hard to do it but there have been attempts to stop the work mm-hmm. that he does. And so we talk about that very openly. Yeah, and I just, you can feel, and we had him in person, which I'm so, I'm so lucky, or we're so lucky. I just felt one, his, his heart. Mm-hmm. And man, oh man, I was like, wow, this man is like mm-hmm. just so fully deeply in it. Like I almost felt like a, like a, a beautiful tiredness, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is your life. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't just like a facade in any way. This is truly his life and and mission. And um, I was just deeply touched. Yeah, we, we talked about the how child sex trafficking has been politicized. And it's so interesting. It's like in 2020, it almost became the right cares about child sex trafficking and the left cares about BLM. And it's almost like because these things were politicized and these are vast, great generalizations, but it's like because they were politicized, it's like almost both sides didn't want to care about the either mm-hmm. because it would be a betrayal to their yes. ego identification with that side. And it's like, no, we have to care about this. And the other side, like, we have to care about this. And it's like, there's almost no room for people to be like, I deeply care about both. I deeply care about the lives of of black people in America. And I deeply care about the lives of children all over the world. And it's so sad. That's what the political sphere and scope tends to do. It's like divides people so much that like, the general understanding of a lot of different things that most human beings, if it was not politicized, would deeply care about or would like would very much care about. But because it's politicized, it kind of pulls us out of that and then makes people identify with one side or the other and then makes almost this other side bad. Yes. And what's also unfortunate, um, you know, we do bring up uh, QAnon in this episode uh-huh. because there were just people, allegations saying that Tim was involved in that because Mm -hmm. a lot of the 
QAnon-related conspiracy theories have to do with sex trafficking and, you know, ritual abuse, et cetera. So we do talk about this and, you know, we hope it goes without saying, but we are not QAnon supporters. We do not mm-hmm. agree with any of... It's uh, like, I feel like every time you bring it up, you have to say that. I know. You have to like denounce it. And honestly, it's like, I'm... I. There's 0% part of me that wants to laugh about this conversation, but that part makes me laugh in, my, know, laugh in my face. But but this is kind of the, yeah, it, 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 they go that far. Yes. So if you say the word QAnon and you don't denounce it as well, it's like, <laughs> so you believe in Q, you're a QAnon supporter. And it's just such a, it's almost like so cheap, you know? Cheap. But, but listen, like this is what's what's troubling to me is that so in these QAnon conspiracy theories, blah, 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 you know, so much is ridiculous. And then there's like this sliver of truth, which is that sex trafficking exists. For sure. So because it is talked about under this guise of a crazy conspiracy theory, people are like, sex trafficking doesn't exist. And it's like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. And then there's that connection from with Tim Ballard and, and oh, you are rescued to QAnon Mm -hmm. because they just make that correlation. And like, it's so, it's so maddening Mm -hmm. because if that is in any way preventing him and his team and organization from rescuing children around the world Mm -hmm. from sex trafficking, from slave labor, from organ harvesting, like it's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, that's how people can get away. That's the part of the politicization. It's like, so then people, they allow themselves to not care about either sides because they're like, oh, my side doesn't identify as people that have that as their priority of an issue. Yes. And which is just so, so wild. And just something that I'm being particularly mindful of is like the ways in which that I'm swept up in one side or the other's deeply polarizing view or perspective of the other. But this conversation's deep and it's real and, you know, trigger warning if, if that's something that you need and you think you're this might be something that really bothers you or upsets you. I'm someone that is so deeply, profoundly impacted by these sort of conversations and talk about this issue. And so it's hard. I'm surprised I didn't cry. So just so you guys know, we really were in the weeds, but we didn't go into specific detail on on stories and issues. So it is a little bit more informational, I think. Yes. And gave me a deeper understanding of exactly what's going on so that, you know, we know how to help. We actually asked how to help too. But just so you know, it's not going to be like incredibly graphic graphic or anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, if you'd like to and you're called to support, you can go to ourrescue.org. You can donate, you can volunteer, you can host an event, um, you can start a campaign of your own. Uh, Yeah, there's lots of ways to help. So if you're really called, connect there. 
Yeah, it's ourrescue.org. And then Tim's Instagram, if you want to follow Tim, is Tim Ballard 89 Tim Ballard 89 And then Operation Toussaint, which is available on Amazon Prime. And then they have more documentaries coming out next year, which is really exciting. Um, and we're excited for you guys to get to know Tim, to learn about his story from working with the government and the CIA to um, now running our rescue and doing operations all over the world. And um, I definitely would share this one with someone, you know, as a way to support the cause and the movement and the information information like this, it's important that, you know, we know about as a first way of us eradicating and supporting these children. Truly. Thank you guys for listening as always for having an open heart and open mind. Um, If you're not subscribed to Almost 30, make sure you do that so that we can, you know, be in your inbox for episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Yes. We love you guys. We'll see you on the other side. We are here. We are really excited to have you. We've been looking forward to this for a while. I feel like, yeah, it's just perfect timing for us and for our community. And I know you're super busy, so we're excited to have you. Yeah, this topic is one that it's hard to even wrap your mind around without feeling emotional about it. And so, you know, doing our best to just be mindful of it all, but also educate our audience as much as possible because I think that's the most important part of it. Um, I have so many things I want to talk about and our conversation could go in so many different directions, but I would love just as like a foundational piece to start with your story because I just want to give context for, you know, your background. Sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. Mm -hmm. I love the pink. It's so much, Tim. It's it's comforting (laughs) somehow. Oh, good. It's like a womb. It is like a womb. I was going to say it, but I I didn't want to. But I was going to say, I feel like I'm back in the womb. I want to crawl into the fetal position right now. Um, (laughs) Anyway. That's how we want our guests to feel. In the fetal position. (laughs) So, um, anyway, so I, I spent about a decade working for the U.S. government. I was a special agent and undercover operator for the Department of Homeland Security. And this was in the early days, early 2000s, when we were just kind of recognizing what a big problem child exploitation and, and child trafficking was. In fact, during the time when I got asked to be in that group and work those kind of cases, I didn't know much about it. None of us did. Um, we certainly didn't know the extent of the problem. Today, we know that there's millions of children forced into the commercial sex trade. Um, millions more in slave labor, Um, others forced into this dark world of organ harvesting, which if you want to get into, we can. But so it's just horrific things happening, fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world and and not slowing down. So, uh, but in the early days, we didn't really know what it was. We started kind of exploring. And then in 2006, with the passage of the Adam Walsh Child Protect Act, it opened up the doors for US agents to actually go overseas and find American sex tourists who were abusing children. And if we, if we caught them doing it overseas, we could hold them accountable for the first time as if they had committed that crime on U.S. soil. Mm. So that's what gave us our jurisdiction. So that kind of, and I speak Spanish, so they sent me south of the border. And I started working in, in places like in Central America, Latin America, Caribbean. And I did a lot of those cases, but the unintended consequence of that was if I didn't find the American that was mm. perpetrating the crime, I wouldn't have a case and I'd have to come home. But that was too late for 
mm-hmm. me personally because we'd already found the kids. Finding the kids is the easy part. And so then the host government would say, hey, where are you going? You can't leave. You've made yourself the bait. Stay with us. I can't. There's no U.S. jurisdiction here. And so that happened several times in different countries. And finally, in 2013, 2012, 13, there was a couple of cases, one in Colombia, one in Haiti, where I had really committed, overcommitted probably, even emotionally and spiritually even, and met with families who were missing children or met with the police who we had a plan to go rescue over a hundred kids in Colombia, mm-hmm. for example. And basically I didn't have the authority to stay. And so it was at that point where we had to make a decision, my wife and I like, what do we do? Do we, the only way to work these cases would be to quit and try to just do it privately, mm-hmm. which scared the heck out of me because it's, it's to privatize the rescue of children I didn't have much of, there's not much of an example for that. I didn't really have much of a precedent to follow. And so uh, ultimately we decided in, in December of 13 to do it. So we quit, raised just enough money to do those two operations that, uh, that were mostly pending in Haiti and, and um, Colombia. And one, the one in Colombia yielded uh, about 120, mostly children and women. There's a feature film actually about that whole story. I'll send you a screener. It's not out yet. And then the one in Haiti, we, we were able to rescue 30 small children who were being sold out of a false orphanage. Mm. And that story has this crazy ending because I, my wife and I ended up adopting two of the kids. So those were our first two cases. And they just kind of, from there, and you can watch actually, the, you can, if you've seen Operation Two yes. Saints, oh, you've seen it. So you kind of know. Yes. So, and there's another documentary called Operation Triple Take. Mm. which is not out yet, but I could send you a screener for that as well. It's won three Emmys, but it hasn't been come out yet, but it also, it tells the Columbia story. Mm. So that's where we started. And then after that, we were kind of raw back then, right? We were just kind of undercover operators trying to finish cases that I had left pending. Today we're in 25 plus countries, including the United States and doing a lot more than just these undercover ops, which we're still doing. But I'd say even more of what we're doing is providing technology training, empowering law enforcement and aftercare services mm-hmm. so, that, so that they can be self-sustaining in their countries because um, that's what's going to make the, the, the big difference. Mm-hmm. I can imagine the education piece with the government is such a huge part of this. Are you, when you go into these countries, what is normally like the response from the government? Are they shocked? Are they resistant? Are they in denial? What does that normally look like? Yeah, it's, it's, it varies. In the, in the early days when we first started, 2013, 14, there was a lot of denial. Um, in fact, there, there was one country in Southeast Asia where we'd show up. It was like a hub for child sex. Mm-hmm. And we'd show up and be like, how can we help? How can we help? And they kind of didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the sex industry, the adults kind of legal sex industry mm-hmm. in, in this particular country brought in a lot of revenue. And we had to convince them, look, we're not trying to attack your mm. adult sex industry. We're trying to get children out. Eventually, after literally years, they said, look, the truth is we don't even have the basic equipment to do a child exploitation material case. The mm. most basic kind of, oftentimes the most basic kind of case. So we started giving them equipment. And then after a couple of years, we, we built an entire lab for them. Mm-hmm. That lab now serves multiple countries in the region. We have 15 
full-time people that work in that office mm. and they do about two to three rescue operations a week out of the lab that we help them build and our guys. So that's kind of how we, you know, it, it takes a lot of time. I, I always say this, f- fighting human trafficking, the hardest part of that is actually fighting the good guys. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the government authorities who need to be converted to the cause finding other NGOs in the space that don't want you to grow because you're going to take away their, mm-hmm. so that's the worst mm. thing I can't even understand. Mm-hmm. Finding the kids is relatively easy. That's, is that, that's a sad commentary. Mm-hmm. NGOs is national government organizations, right? Uh, non-government organizations. Non- okay. like other charities, yeah. So other charities would be competing for funding or? Yeah, we, we're very collaborative. We always, our model is to invite everybody in yep. and all work together. But unfortunately- uh, in this space, it is, I was warned about it actually when mm-hmm. I started, mm-hmm. um, that it's the most backbiting kind of competitive industry where there's a scarcity mentality. Mm. If you're getting money then I'm not Yeah. when it should be. And I try to teach our team we're abundance mentality mm-hmm. where there's, everybody should just do what you can do and let's work together. Um, unfortunately, so many kids don't get rescued because of the backbiting. Yeah. Yeah, I it's interesting like the going private, you know, outside of the government seems like a decision that for me would make sense cuz I think people can understand how the government would have limitations. So for me it makes complete sense. I think it's been interesting and I was curious of your thoughts on this and I really want to go into like specifics on the kids but in the past year it's almost like child sex trafficking has been politicized in like a very weird way <laughs> and that's been something that has been really alarming and interesting to me. And I'm curious of your thoughts on that. And oh. if you've seen, if you've kind of reaped some of the I response my headphones to that. For this one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's getting, it's getting intense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like everything is politicized. So that's, yeah, everything's, everything's being politicized. politicized and even something like this. So I ran into that and still, still, uh, yeah. Reaping the consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was asked about a year, two years ago to go brief the White House, to brief the president on what was happening on the Southern border. I, I spent 10 years on the border as an undercover operator fighting sex trafficking. There was never, it was never a political issue. Mm-hmm. Like the whole concept of the wall. Mm-hmm. That was not a political thing. Both parties mm-hmm. were building that wall because it saves kids. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's a, it's, it's, it doesn't take much. If you've been to Disneyland, you understand the concept. You control the flow of people so that you can check when they're coming in mm-hmm. so dangerous things don't come in. Yes. Um, and that's how we save children because the, the last hope they have as they're being brought into the United States, the United States is the number three destination countries for sex traffickers. So the, to me and to, to us on, on the border who were working this, the wall wasn't something to keep people out. Mm-hmm. It was to keep children from our sick American pedophiles who wanted them in. And their last hope would be there, getting them at the port of entry. We've rescued so many kids that way. They're trained law enforcement officers who are looking for victims. And I can tell you story after story of kids we've rescued that way. So I'm just giving a briefing about how this works. And we lost a thousand donors the next day. Recurring donors who otherwise knew we were rescuing kids. That wasn't the reason they left. And my financial team called and said, you won't believe this. We just lost a thousand recurring donors, over a thousand, because you dared to go meet with President mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. And I would have, I said, wait, I, I would have run just as fast 
to any president, Biden, Obama, Trump, I don't care. Whoever is in power is the one we're going to work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's, if you have some standard, then we shouldn't work in any country because we, we, we work with whoever's there. Right. And uh, they said, you should call them and explain that to them so we can get them back. And, and my response was, you know what? No, mm-hmm. because what they just told me is that they hate one person mm-hmm. more than they love rescuing children from rape. And if that's where they are at, I really don't want mm-hmm. someone like that on my, on my team in any way. Mm-hmm. And it's so sick and sad that these things are being politicized. And then it's, and then you've seen it happen since then. Yeah. There's a lot of conspiracy theories and, mm-hmm. and, and both sides. There's, mm-hmm. there, you see it on both sides mm-hmm. have hurt the cause by mm-hmm. politicizing things and making accusations. And, and so human trafficking has, in some ways, has lost credibility. Mm-hmm. Some of these yeah. conspiracy theories, which are completely ridiculous, makes, question, makes people question everything. Mm-hmm. And we've been attacked for that too. Like, how real is this? Because this QAnon stuff, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Well, you know, it is real. And that's why we try to take cameras everywhere we go and do documentaries to show what it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, as you pointed out, we live in a society where politics and power seem to reign every, mm-hmm. over everything else, over truth, over mm-hmm. what's important, over children. Mm-hmm. I think it's something where people can't really let it in their, like in their psyche. It's almost like it's so, there's such darkness that exists on earth that it's hard for people to assimilate it into their nervous system when they can't even deal with their own lives. And people have so much going on. There's so much of our nervous systems and our experience that are hijacked through the news and the media that it's like when you then tell them that children are being um, harvested for their organs, it's like how, you know, they can't, people can't deal. That's right. Which is a a place of privilege Mm -hmm. to not be able to deal. But it's just... Yeah, it's so disheartening when I saw that sort of happen last year where it was swept up within this. And it's almost like what was um, the ritual abuse that it what happened years and years ago, like 30, 40 years ago, that was almost seen as a conspiracy when people weren't believed when they had ritual abuse happen to them. And people sweep it into this like grander thing to sort of make it sweep on, make it be swept under the rug. Yeah. And it's really it's just really harmful to all of these things and these experiences and these survivors. And it's just so interesting how there's people that are like, we believe survivors, we believe these things, but it's like only if they are this or only if they are this. And so in this, I just wanted to kind of pull that apart too and just remove any of the political notions of this experience from our conversation because it's so important that we're talking about what we're talking about and like the fact that so many people have been affected by this and continue to be affected by this is just absurd. You're right. And and I think you've nailed it. People are looking for an excuse not to believe yes, that children could yeah. be raped, that children could have their hearts pulled out of their bodies. And it's just tragic. You, we have to invite people. And in fact, I would talk to your audience right now. Don't turn off the podcast because mm-hmm. I guarantee you a good percentage of them right now mm-hmm. listening are considering whether they're going to stay listening to this. And I, if you're one of those people listening, don't turn it off, shed some innocence, hear the truth. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, the consequences for these children are way worse than whatever pain you might experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is, I totally believe what you're saying. It's any excuse to, to, it's not real. It's not happening. Uh Let's not, Let's mm-hmm. not believe it. Mm-hmm. And and we actually get attacked mm-hmm. I, for I that guess. same reason. Like, we don't want to believe it's true. So you guys must be lying. Yep. And it's just like, what? like I just get back from Africa. You talk about these mm-hmm. kids. 
literally witch doctory and having their organs cut out. And I mean, I'm with these kids. I have picture. I can show you pictures of their hands cut off and their where they suck their blood and sell it in little baggies to people that believe it's going to bring them good luck. Or I mean, it's crazy the stuff that's going on. And and so we have to fight the conspiratorial side, the, the mm-hmm. part that's this unfounded, but but fill it with the truth, which mm-hmm. frankly is isn't. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, oh, it's pretty much just as bad as any conspiracy. It's mm-hmm. just the way the story is told. Is mm-hmm. tell the true story. Mm-hmm. So totally, yeah. So much to say. I feel like what has your experience been as far as like very specific resistance goes? I guess what I want to know is like obviously there are people that don't know this is going on that don't believe this, but are there actual movements and intentional things happening against your organization that you can speak to? Because yeah, it just is a very interesting nuanced thing when this is clearly real and happening and then there are efforts to cover it up. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, and we've experienced some of this because we became so big, especially last year. Yeah, we became in terms of just followers and and revenue intake, the largest anti trafficking organization. Um, and so what what that means is we we are an effective tool in the fight, and we're going up against an industry that is brings in one hundred and fifty billion dollars a year. So to give some perspective to that with the amount of money that is utilized to buy and sell women and children every year with that amount of money, you could buy every Starbucks franchise, every NBA team, and still have enough money to send every American child to college for four years. That's yearly what's sold, what's, what's used to buy uh, people. And so this is huge amounts of money, huge amounts of powerful people that don't want this exposed. They don't want there to be a tool to fight it. So we're, we're experiencing the bigger we get, the more resistance we're, we're taking on for sure. I mean, and I worry about my safety. I, mean, yeah. I was going to say, I yeah. have, I have nine kids and I, I worry, um, you know, we can do what we can do. We, we uh, build a fence around our house, have a mean looking dog. But in the end, it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, God, I, th- I feel like this yeah. is right. Protect us. Mm-hmm. And we're going to come what may. Mm-hmm. And when you're, so when you're working on operations, you know, you go all over the world. What is, I guess, how does it start? You know, is it like a tip off? Is there something? And then do you know in certain regions and areas like, okay, we know in Southeast Asia, it's, it's usually uh, sex. We know one area it's organ harvesting. Like, have you found there to be trends in areas for certain things that help you? Absolutely. So every case is a little bit different, Mm -hmm. you know, um, how, how we get, tipped off. So for example, there's one country that we're opening up right now. Mm-hmm. I was talking to you earlier about it. Very corrupt country. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took us years to find the right relationships. And then they eventually came to us and said, we're ready. Please be the tip of the spear. We don't have any arms proactively fighting this. Where do we start? So we have a we have an amazing uh, lab actually in Thailand mm-hmm. <laughs> that we have guys there who will do the dark net stuff. We also have a, a team at Marshall University mm-hmm. of computer science students who do open source research. Mm-hmm. So once they, they dig in and then we provide an Intel report to the government and say, here's all these locations are most likely selling women or children. Mm-hmm. 
and oftentimes they're fronts, they're, they're spas or they're clubs or kind of one-off weird resorts mm. and something's wrong. So then they'll come to us and say, okay, well then will you infiltrate it for us? Will you take an undercover team and go be, go be a guest at that resort for a week and tell us what you see. So we go in there, we have hidden cameras. And so we be, basically become informants for the government. And then we come out and provide it to them. And, and then that's where we see if they're taking it seriously. And if they're, then we'll take another step and make another offer and, and hopefully build something more permanent in that, in that country. So that's one way uh, when the leads come in. Um, other things we do is we just provide tools that we know everybody needs, everybody wants. Mm-hmm. For example, I don't know if you're familiar with our um, canines that we mm-hmm. deploy. Mm-hmm. These amazing animals that go in and sniff out digital media. These are warrants. People say, well, how do they smell the child mm-hmm. exploitation? No, they, they don't. They don't. It's just any digital media, but you put them into a search warrant where you're, you know it's already there. And then they'll find it hiding in the floorboards or up in the curtain or whatever. Wow. And it, it's and sometimes it's an image on that thumb drive or SD card that is the only hope for that child to be identified and rescued. So these dogs are heroes. We have them all lined up, like how many kids they've actually rescued, mm-hmm. how many bad guys they put in jail, and they're just yeah. these beautiful animals. We we have a goal to deploy twenty in in this 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 year. Wow. So, how do you build how do you build that trust with these governments that are yeah, just not either familiar with these types of operations or perhaps a little like side-eyeing the operation. How do you build that trust over time? Oh, it's just, it's really just relationships and mm-hmm. friendships that you just have mm-hmm. to build. Is it re- like, it, does it feel real? Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Where it is, I know you go undercover and kind of have to be someone else, but as far as these relationships, does it feel like very authentic over yes, time? Yes, it does. In yeah. fact, I'll just tell you. So one of the countries that we're working in right now is is in Mexico. And we've been public about, not the operations we do there, but public about our relationships. I, I found, so like three years ago, I looked and found a congresswoman. Um, her name is Paula Felix, who was being very vocal about fighting trafficking. She was just young. I think she was like 25 years old. Mm-hmm kind of um, very dynamic, very just bright mm-hmm. person. And um, I tracked her down and flew to Mexico City to, to meet with her, told her who we are, what we do. And she was just super excited and she tried so hard to get us and we couldn't get to the right people. And then uh, in, the, in, the pre, in the last presidential election, I mean, truly, it, I, I believe in miracles and we just, we, we, we do a lot of praying and okay, mm-hmm we can only go so far. And then this, this woman, uh, Paula, she, she jumps ship from her political party and joins the Moreno party, mm-hmm. which was quite opposite politically from where she was. And she's going to join this, this dark horse candidate. Who's not going to win. Mm-hmm. His name's Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Mm-hmm. And somehow this guy ends up winning mm-hmm. the, the, pre, in the, in the Mexican election. And she was this dynamic star that helped him. And boom, she gets, she's given a position in the government. And then she calls me, okay, now come down. Wow. Now she has me briefing the entire cabinet for the last year and a half. Now I'm friends with the equivalent of their FBI director, super good friends with their CIA, their equivalent wow. of their CIA director, their vice president. Like we're buddies. We're like, we hang out. And so now it's, and then I was telling you about some of the cases we're working now. And they're just like, okay, go where you want to go. We're going to give you support backup. We're going to prosecute these cases. 
and the results are phenomenal, right? Where I, again, I won't bring up details. Mm-hmm. I told you before the show, we just got back from some, some operations, but, but um, it's all relationships. Cause if you don't have, if you didn't, mm-hmm. if we didn't have those, no one would, mm. would want to, to dig in there and you need to find the right people because I, I, we've been to some countries recently. We were at one where they said, you know, we can't, st- we, we know what's going on here, but it's a tour. It's very touristy. And they said, we can't, we don't want the bad publicity. It'll hurt our, hurt our economy. Like, mm-hmm. Wow. So it's, it, you're fighting a lot. Like I said, it's the, the good guys are the harder fight than the bad guys in this, mm-hmm. in this fight. Mm-hmm. Like neutral. They're like, not good. It's like, yeah, I, I hate to say they're good. Like, they should be good. It's yeah. like completely not, you know, mm-hmm. neither. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about, so the three types, it seems like there's three types. So children are trafficked for sex, like work and then organs. And is organs, are they, what are they doing with organs? So a lot of that work we've seen, actually we've seen some in, in Haiti that we're working, yeah. but mostly it's in the Middle East. Um, so, uh, I run another organization that's sister organizations that OUR. It's called the Nazarene fund mm-hmm. and the Nazarene fund, um, focuses on extracting the, um, victims who were kidnapped by ISIS. So ISIS comes in in 2014, 15, we were mm-hmm. all, this was big in the news, right? At that time they took over all these towns in the middle East in Northern Iraq, Syria. And if you were the wrong religion or wrong ethnicity, you were a slave, like these, this beautiful people called the, the Yazidi mm-hmm. tribes. They're these beautiful people that just live quietly, peacefully in Northern Iraq for, for centuries they lived there. And ISIS came in and just made them all sex slaves, killed all the men, took the women and children and forced them to be sex slaves. These enormous sex markets where they're just buying and selling mm-hmm. kids for sex. Um, and then a lot of Christian communities were hurt as well in this, in a similar way. What happened was they, they had all, they have all these, we have a list of still a couple thousand children who are missing and we're, we're able to extract about two a month as we dig in into these areas and find them in different places. And ISIS is making a comeback in numbers right now. So mm-hmm. they will, they will be coming back big soon, I believe, but we're trying to get these kids out. And what happened was ISIS got pushed out of all their kind of sovereign territory that they controlled, but they still exist in pockets. Mm. And how do they make their money? Because they no longer have access to the, to the natural resources and, and political resources that they had before they were pushed out. But they have all these kids that are subhuman to them because they don't believe the way they do. And so mm. what they're doing with these kids is they've tapped into this market where it's, it's, it's most like a pediatric heart will go on the, on the black market for about a quarter million dollars. Mm. It's really hard to find with an, with a liver or a, you know, kidney, you can actually cut an adult one down to size and use it for a child. Well, obviously it doesn't work with a heart. So, I mean, each child is worth a quarter million dollars to these guys. And there's people lined up. If you know the industry and the, 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 the demand for healthy hearts for transplants, it's huge, even in the United States. So you go into some of these more corrupt countries in, in Eastern Europe or, or um, even in the Gulf mm-hmm. States, and they, they don't want to wait in line. They want to get the hearts and there's, they'll mm-hmm. buy them. It's, it's not a super sophisticated surgery to extract. Put a heart, you have eight hours on ice before you can use it again. It's a very profitable thing. So we're, we're fighting that. We've actually taken down two organ, organ harvesting rings in the last couple of years and working on several others, but it's a very real thing that that's, that's happening. Mm. 
And what are the people that are purchasing the hearts? Like, yeah. how are they? Do and they the believe it's something? Do they are they being sold, told it's something different? So yeah, we have tracked it down. In some cases, we think they don't. And even in the United States, I've talked to doctors. So how does this work? Yeah. And they said, you know what? Honestly, there's a couple of places where it could be easy. Like a heart will come in from Mexico, you know, and they and like I, we don't have yeah. time to verify. Wow. They tell they told us it was a car crash or a suicide or, but we don't have time to. Got it. You know, we're 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 gonna insert that heart. Mm-hmm. And so there's, it's, it's one of these kind of urgent matters. There's not time to investigate. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that hard mm-hmm. to s- slip in these organs and, and use them. And people might not even know that they're, you know, where, where the heart mm-hmm. really came from mm-hmm. or the other organs. I, I think there's less of that. I wouldn't expect, uh, suspect a lot of that happening in this country because mm-hmm. there are a lot more controls here. Mm-hmm. But you get into a country where there's not controls mm-hmm. in any way mm-hmm. and forget it. Like mm-hmm. no one's going to ask. Don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And as far as, you know, selling children for sex and for labor, can you give us some insight as to how how that works? You mentioned before, I think it was before we hopped on um, and was one of my questions around like the involvement of women in this process and how that kind of upholds because of that motherly Mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I would love to learn more about it. Yeah, so generally how it works, people always kind of people's reference point is Taken, the movie Taken with Liam Neeson, Mm -hmm. right? It's so well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell people there's a lot of elements that, that, that are accurate, especially once the, the, the women and the girls are in slavery, how they control them. You see that, um, but it's not always that. In fact, it's important to point out that it's not always the, the white van that comes in and pulls the kid off the street. Because if we think that we're going to miss so many, especially in the United States, where it doesn't look like that, where the, the girls are living in their homes, going to cheerleading practice and soccer practice, but also being trafficked. For example, their ex-boyfriend has a sex video of them. He uses it to extort them. I'm talking girls who live in an affluent neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you don't, if you don't put out for my friends here or there, then I'm going to show your pastor and your, mm-hmm. and your grandma. and your. So that, that's a form of trafficking that, that, that happens. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in kind of in mass, when, how you see it, it's, it's generally never, almost never the hard take. Sometimes, of course, that happens. Mm-hmm. But like in Taken. Because why kick up a bunch of dust around you if you're a bad guy? These are businessmen. They're bad guys, but they're businessmen. So the easier play is the lure, where they go into a very impoverished neighborhood, village, promise the world, Mm. uh, recruit them into a modeling agency. I've seen that before. Mm -hmm. Recruit them to be a nanny or whatever. And the family thinks, oh my gosh, this is awesome. You're going to make money. And oh, they're even giving me a cell phone. I can talk to you every weekend. And that child leaves, let's say 13, 12, 13 years old. And they never see that child again. They move into a different country and they're selling them for sex. And then there's no recourse for that family. Who are they going to call? They live in a place where there is no police generally in their even region. So that's, that's mostly how it happens. And it's happening to women four times more than it's happening to, to children. Promises of jobs, opportunities. We've repatriated over 300 African women out of the Middle East who were lured into the Middle East, promised jobs to, to be nannies or domestic workers, and they're forced into, into slavery. Passports ripped from them. So we, we're seeing a lot of, of the, the, the lure, even more on women than, than, than on children. 
women and women would be like women over, like, because I know we say 18, but in different countries, it's different. So I guess what are, what's a, is a woman 18? A woman generally, yes, 18 okay. and up. But okay. like, there's a case we just worked recently where these Venezuelan women mm-hmm. were, uh, I mean, professional women, pr- bright women. Um, one was a cop. Others were, there was a, I believe there was a, a law student. Um, you know, these are professional bright women and they have 15 kids amongst all of them. They didn't know each other in Venezuela mm-hmm. at the time, but a recruiter came and promised them a job in Dominican Republic working legitimate tourist jobs, hotel waitresses or hostesses, whatever. And they get there, their passports are taken. They're given some drug, they conk out, they wake up in a brothel in Haiti. No passport, don't speak the language, they're done. Wow. And for up to a year, they were, our guys found, we found them, got them out. Oh. There's a documentary being made about mm-hmm. the case because it's crazy what happened, how, how we got them out. Um, but they are now very heroically want to tell their story and say, mm-hmm. don't get on the plane. It looks, it's, if it's too good to be true, it, mm-hmm. it probably mm-hmm. is. But we're seeing this just in mass, especially right now, you know, with the COVID responses around the world and shutting down everything, the unintended consequences of that. If people actually compared what was more dangerous, that's not a political statement. I'm just saying, if you're looking at just sex trafficking alone, Mm -hmm. the amount of sex trafficking that we have allowed out out of fear of, of something that is real, I'm not saying it's not real, Mm -hmm. but at least look Mm -hmm. because we are seeing an increase everywhere. You have these cities in Asia that are just shut down completely. And this woman is in charge to take care of her children and her parents and her only hope is to go to Africa. We just found a girl, uh, mm-hmm. this little Thai girl in Africa, who the same thing, she was lured into Africa to, to be a prostitute. And she didn't know that. She was to be a sex mm-hmm. slave is, in mm-hmm. essence. We got her home. We're getting her home in a couple of weeks. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll show you a video that will mm-hmm. just make you cry mm-hmm. about her when we, when we told her who we were. But um, she came because her, her business shut down. Mm-hmm. So it's an unintended wow. consequence that people aren't, aren't able to work normal jobs because things have been shut down. Right. So now they're forced into it. Yeah. Yeah. But also on the, un, like these unintended consequences, just not being out and visible, I guess, mm-hmm. is totally. really like mm-hmm. that, that struck me last year. I was like, wow, you know, not only, you know, we heard about domestic abuse on the rise, but I was thinking Suicide. about- Suicide. Suicide. Alcoholism. Yes. And just these operations, how they could be going on at a, you know, a more intense rate and able to be going. Is that what you found? Is that they were more easily able to happen or? Yes, for sure. So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reported in April of last year about a million or more, or was it 2 million? It was 2 million more Mm -hmm. in 2020 than in 2019 of reports of child sex abuse originating online. Why? Because these kids are taken out of school, Mm. told to sit by the computer. The pedophiles are also home at the computer. And we can track the dark net, some of the chatter, and they're talking about, it's harvest time, guys. Like the kids are sitting ducks for us. And they are. And they get on and start gaming with them, pretending to be a 12-year-old kid, when in fact, it's a 50-year-old pedophile that's luring them and abusing them. Uh, and um, I think that we as a society didn't recognize mm-hmm. the safety net mm-hmm. that were that was built into our systems, schools, after-school programs, sports. That keeps kids safe. Mm-hmm. And when you take that all away, all of a sudden, 
you're going to have this consequence and we won't know for years to come what it, what it actually was um, because these kids are being abused right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really disheartening. It's because I don't even hear it in the national debate mm-hmm. that still being, it should be the main thing we're talking about. Okay. Let's talk about all the unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I, at the risk of sounding political, cause I'm not, mm-hmm. but I, I, I dug deeply in cause I was concerned about this. I mean, if, if you are over 60 or 70 years old, if you're under 60 or 70, which the vast majority of teachers are, you have a 99.999% chance of surviving COVID if you, if you get it, mm-hmm. right? And kids, it's basically non-traceable. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, it's, they're not contagious. This is the science. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, why, why are we taking away this safety net? Mm-hmm. Uh, kids are getting hurt mm-hmm. because of a fear of something that is so minuscule versus something that is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Like there will be, there is an increase by the millions of reports if just half of them end up being real reports, mm-hmm. it, was it worth it? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> yeah, that was actually my, that was my question was the internet and social media. Mm-hmm. Like how has that changed your work and your business? Yeah, how has that changed things? Oh, I mean, the internet has opened up every opportunity. <laughs> for, for, for both parties, right? That's true, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, so when I started this work, uh, the internet was still, relatively new and mm-hmm. this this thing called the dark net starts to build and grow and it's it, it, it created an explosion i think in the demand and and it's not because of the child exploitation material as much as it is just regular adult pornography mm-hmm. this is very controversial what i'm going to say people don't like me to say it because most people use porn um a very small percentage of those people actually become affected to the point where they become uh, damaged or become something that they could be, become monsters. But that small percentage is responsible for a demand that's calling for millions of children every year. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the internet more than I think affected this game more than, or this, I won't call it a game, but this, this problem because it created sex addicts. And if you understand how porn works on the brain, right. How it, it, it basically, triggers the chemical reactions that drugs do mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the dopamine and the, and the other things that drop. Mm-hmm. And so people become addicted to that. And just like marijuana or some gateway drug, you can only you do it so much before you stop getting the chemical reaction and you got to elevate to something more potent. So these users, these porn users are actually, oh, I, I gotta, I gotta ch- ch- jumpstart my brain because it's not, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. producing what it did. And they start they can't be intimate with their spouse anymore or their significant other because their, their brain doesn't work that way anymore. And then they're trying to jumpstart it with something like, I'll look at 17 year olds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now I'm going to go to 15. I'll stop at 15. And then they're, and then all of a sudden they're in some foreign country looking for 10 year olds. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that if I could put one thing that, that grew the demand, it was internet pornography. Mm-hmm. And I know, again, it's very unpopular to say, no, I, yeah, but it's, yeah. the, but it's, it's my, it's what I think is true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how are they using different channels? You know, how are, how are you using different channels? Cause I feel like it's away from the dark web now. Like it's out of the dark web kind of, it, it still exists, but I feel like it's now infiltrated other channels. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, there's this great organization I want to promote right now. Um, they're actually in Southern California. Um, they're called Humans Against Trafficking. So mm-hmm. go check them out, humansagainsttrafficking.org. Mm-hmm. They've built this software, um, which 
goes into like, for example, goes into Instagram and there's like algorithms that just find the most vulnerable because what's, what's happening is these Ooh. traffickers, they know what to look for. Mm -hmm. They're, they're just going through Instagram, finding the girls who want to be models, who are young, who are lonely, who don't have a family support structure. And all of a sudden it shows up in their comments. Hey, I'm a photographer. Hey, I'm a, I'm a modeling agent. Mm -hmm. Meet me at my studio. I want to do a shoot with you. Mm -hmm. And that then begins their, their long and dark journey into wow. trafficking. So what the, what the humans against trafficking, the, the software they have actually goes in and, and through um, artificial intelligence is able to identify, like it will go through all the comments and find how many girls are getting recruited mm -hmm. and they may not even know it. And then they basically also how much skin is being shown versus other colors. So you're showing a lot of skin. How old are you? So it, all of a sudden it makes this list of like, you are super vulnerable or you are being preyed upon right now. You don't even know wow. it. Mm. Then they can send them messages and they're using models like legitimate, like professional models who will then send messages to them and say, hi, would you like to join us in our fight against human trafficking, hold this sign up and, and then just them holding the sign up will deter mm -hmm. the bad guy. Like, Oh shoot. She knows about trafficking. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Wow. So amazing organization that needs a lot of support mm -hmm. right now because their tool is just phenomenal. Mm. Would they would they reach out to those vulnerable people and let them know what exactly is going on? Or is that also risky because they could fuck it up? Yeah. So they are basically wondering, what do we do? Yeah. Because um, if, if, if one of those girls just got it, can you imagine if you were that girl? Mm -hmm. You'd be like... Yeah. Like, I'm not going to listen. Who are you? Mm -hmm. That's why. But if she, if they get hit up by some famous model. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Says, Hey, I love your stuff. What's wrong? If you'd like to join our modeling model models against trafficking. Mm -hmm. All you gotta do is hold up this sign. That's a safer approach and actually creates a deterrent effect to protect her with her not even realizing what she was being protected from. Mm -hmm. The other option, you know, you could talk to teachers, you could find their, their parents they're probably the parents probably aren't a very active part of their lives or maybe they are, but even then, so there's different things you can do with it, but that's what, what they're using the models against trafficking to kind of as a starting point. But it, it really illustrates the point that you're making, which is true. The trafficking is infiltrated mm -hmm. and exploitation, every social media application and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's people are vulnerable everywhere. Kids mm -hmm. are vulnerable everywhere right now. Are the social media, sorry, just mm -hmm. on that, the social media platforms, are they on your side? Are mm -hmm. they helping you? Like, what does that look like? In terms of us getting our word out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and supporting, you know, any, anything that's covert that's happening. Are they willing to help with information mm -hmm. or? Oh, yeah. So sure. So most, almost all of the high tech companies have a legal compliance mm -hmm. where, you know, um, domestically it works very well mm -hmm. where US agencies can call in and say, Hey, here's a subpoena. I need to know where this guy lives. You know, what his email address mm -hmm. is because he is exploiting children. I wish they would do a better job internationally. We're, okay. we're in so many offices. And one of the number one questions I get is, can you help us contact Facebook? They won't listen to us. They won't, you know, we can't get a hold of them. Mm -hmm. um, I just know as a US agent, they were very responsive. But I think that we need a, there, there needs to be a little more cooperation uh, on the international side. Got it. What is the percentage, do you think, that of trafficking that happens online? Or, and then is it, does it go from 
pedophile to like what at what point it are they arrestable and then at what point does their case go up like where they're do they start with someone that's a that's a creep and then they're you know saying things they're soliciting sex whatever and then like i guess how does it work from like a structural perspective so it, there's a there's a kind of a wide range of laws mm-hmm. that could be violated um there's a law Right now, for, I remember on the books when I was an agent that I always tried to use, but no one would, no prosecutor would take it. But just like the 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 the, the dick pics, right? Yeah, it's like the most common. Yeah, if they're sending those to children, it's a it's a it's a felony. Yeah, but I could never get the U.S. Attorney's Office to do those cases. That could also be AI. Like I've always said that too. Like the apps could use AI technology to stop dick pics. You know, like if they're using totally. AI technology to serve people more attractive people or certain type of people, yeah. or they're doing like weird things behind the scenes to get people to use that more, they could use AI technology for dick pics easily. Yeah. This is the first time I've said dick pic on a podcast too. <laughs> I know, I honestly. That <laughs> That's the title of but the I episode. Couldn't think, I couldn't think of what else to call it in a it's more true. professional, so I apologize. Yes. Um, Penis photograph. Penis yeah, photography. I was going to say that, but I thought, That's not going to fly with, yeah. the, with the almost 30 crowd. Yeah. So... Um, but but yeah, it's it's a it's really about uh, the, so you generally probably wouldn't prosecute that. You try mm-hmm. to keep going, okay? Because usually they're sending it to me, and they think I'm a 12 year old kid as a mm-hmm. cop, right? Mm-hmm. They, that's how we you find these guys. Mm-hmm. But eventually, if you can get them to see how far they were there, they would go, and then mm-hmm. you can find other victims. So if they actually make an overt act, like they travel to you to have sex with mm-hmm. who they thought was a 12 year old, that'd be attempt to rape a child. So yeah, it's just kind of starting in one place and what would happen to me, like I said, is they wouldn't do that, but they just love sending the, the pics out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this, this rap, this, this, get this guy out. He's hurting people. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's, it's, it's a cultural thing, even in the legal system. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember in the early two thousands, we'd have cases where, I mean, I, I remember a guy that was, he had over 2 million pieces of child rape videos or pictures and we got him and we were so excited and he got sentenced to six months in jail for having 2 million images, six months in jail, weekends only. So he had, he just had to check in Friday to Sunday. And it was just like, what happened? And I talked to the judge. So why didn't, why did you give him that sentence? He's like, well, you know, I mean, how can we judge? A, how does he know a 17 year olds can look like a 20 year old? I said, what? I said, this guy had five year olds. And wow. I had I had asked her in sentencing to go up and 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 give yeah. a witness and sh- and the and the judge didn't want to see it. Now that was a long time right. ago. That was like two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah. And so they, things have changed, but in other countries, especially in some jurisdictions, they haven't. People can't wrap their heads around children being raped. So they yeah. they, they hear the term child exploitation or what some call child pornography. We now call it child exploitation material. And even people in the legal system, judges and others, will think it must be sixteen year olds. Because why would they want a, pure, a prepubescent kid? Mm-hmm. Why would they want that? Because mm-hmm. they can't comprehend it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really, again, it goes to the back to the, uh, who's willing to shed some innocence and dig into what this is. It hurts to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we've made a lot of progress over the last 15 years, um, but we're just, we're not there simply because people don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was shocked to hear the statistics around the United States because I think, you know, a lot of people listening are like, well, this doesn't happen here. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's more international. And um, so, yeah, can you just first 
give us some insight as to what's happening here on U.S. soil and what's most common. And then I do want to talk about how we can, yeah, just be more aware and, and perhaps help. Sure. You know, in our everyday. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the more unfortunate things when people say this is happening far away. And what's happening more far away is like the harder kind of grabs and, Mm -hmm. you know, the more what what you think of as Mm -hmm. trafficking. Right. Tying people up and that does happen. Um, You don't see a lot of that happening here in this country. It's a different form, but it's every bit as much human trafficking, right? And so that's why I think it's easier for people to dismiss what's happening here. We have better law enforcement here. And so people have to be more clever about how they're trafficking kids. A lot of it's online. Um, it's not like in most country, in most developing countries, I could go to a, any corner or any, any beach and someone will offer me a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old eventually. You're not going to see that when you go onto the, you know, mm-hmm. Malibu beach, right? It's not going to happen. Right. But if you go online, so it's, it's just more hidden, mm-hmm. but it's every bit as present. The United States was ranked as the number three for um, destination countries last year by the State Department for human trafficking. So we, we know that it's, it's, um, it's a big deal. It's happening. There's a, there's a couple hundred thousand, they estimate about 200,000 children who were born in the U.S., U.S. citizens who are currently being forced into commercial sex. Most of those are foster care, mm-hmm. uh, unstable family lives that get sucked into this. And of course, that's who the traffickers prey upon. Um, but I, I think that the most tragic thing is if you saw the most of the trafficking victims in the United States, in this, you wouldn't even think twice. You wouldn't think they were being vic- trafficked because they, they look like they belong with their trafficker or their pimp. And so it's it's really in, in elevating the, the education of what it actually looks like here. Yeah, what does it look like? So it, it it's it's hard to identify, mm-hmm. but it's it, it's it looks like a relationship sometimes. Oftentimes, it looks like a guy and a girl who like each other, mm-hmm. but no one knows what's actually happening. That he's pimping her out every night and beating her up, and so it's it's about being you know people close to you who have access to your life to take it seriously when you see some, something feels wrong and she's not talking and but she wants to say something. We have those kind of images like, oh, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. No, don't leave it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 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 we need to uh, engage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that was something, you know, that's just so heartbreaking is too, is the foster care system and all the ways in which like foster care kids in the United States are just the most vulnerable and really weird yeah, just not set up for success. So a lot of the kids, are they taken from foster care? Sure, absolutely. I mean, the the way, so I wish more people would get involved, good people would get involved in adoptions and foster care. Are we OUR set up a foundation within OUR called Children Need Families, mm-hmm. which we're, we're, we're trying to take the stigma away from adoption and mm-hmm. foster care because what's happening is you have, I mean, just speaking truthfully, there's a lot of people that shouldn't be foster care families. So many that should be, and they're amazing, but others, they get paid, they get paid money, right? Which I'm not against, but it's, it's some people's income. So they don't give a rat's ass about these kids. Wow. You know, some of them, I don't want to, and, and so there's, there's not love in the home. 
it's just a paycheck. And, and those kids run. They, they, and they're like, well, she ran away again. What am I going to do? And they, where do they run to? They run to the arms of a trafficker. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I really think to me, the key is educating people to like, look at these kids as God's children. And it, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, they come from tough backgrounds, but can we, if, if more people would engage and, and take on children who are good people, mm-hmm. that's really the, the solution. It's just right now, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to get over that kind of stereotype of, mm-hmm. of the danger of these children. Mm-hmm. And yes, there, there's stories, you know, um, that, are, that are tough. We've, you know, we have two adopted kids and yeah, it's tough. There's, there's things like you can't understand, you can't explain why you don't know what really happened to them mm-hmm. in their first couple of years of life. Um, but I just, I think if more people engaged, we could solve this problem by putting these kids into loving homes. Mm-hmm. How has your faith really helped and supported you in these missions? Because I, I know you've seen the, the darkness of humanity and, um, yeah, I can imagine that, yeah, it's rocked maybe your faith at times and or people looking in might be like, how does God exist if mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. an existence as well? Such a good question. I've seen a lot of people lose their faith that had faith in this. And I think I've just watched, like you get into this world of doing child exploitation material cases and you're just, I've seen tens of thousands of hours of prepubescent children being full on raped in ways physically you wouldn't believe is even possible and it destroys you and you think why would a, any mm-hmm. god let this happen he, there must not be a god but my perspective just through my experience has been the opposite i've had more faith and and it kind of came to me kind of evolved in a way where when i started getting into undercover work and people would ask me how do you sit across the table from some guy or, or woman selling children how do you not become just cynical and lose mm-hmm. faith? And, and the answer I wanted, the honest answer I wanted to give, I couldn't give because it didn't make sense to me, but it was, why do I feel like, I mean, it's like one of the happiest times. I feel light, mm-hmm. a godly light when I'm in those situations. I didn't know what it was. Mm. It was years later when I started recognizing what it was. I, I personally, my faith is one that I'm, I'm a big believer in God and, mm-hmm. and angels. And um. I've had experiences where I've, I can't deny what I have experienced, seen, felt. And I recognized that what I was experiencing in those darkest moments was I was feeling more of that angelic presence because they are surrounding those kids. Mm -hmm. And the bad guy in that moment is the only thing separating our team from those kids. Mm -hmm. So the closer you get to the kids, which means the bad guys, Mm -hmm. you're feeling more of this angelic Mm -hmm. presence. Mm -hmm. Then when you get to the kids, it's almost like, (gasps) what is going Mm -hmm. on? God loves them so much. Mm -hmm. And there's a protection that that makes it not bearable through my eyes, but Mm -hmm. at least there's a protection. And I believe in, in in a grace that will come and heal everything eventually, Mm -hmm. maybe not in our mortality that we get to see it, but there will be a full grace. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't know that, I think I might have a hard time walking this path. Mm -hmm. So my faith has only increased because I've felt God's compassion, love and sorrow Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. these kids. And there's an agency, right? He, part of this mortality is I'm going to let people hang themselves. I'm going to let them, mm -hmm. there's a freedom to choose. Mm -hmm. It's part of the, it's part of why we're here, right? Mm -hmm. To, to, 
to experience that. And so he, while God respects that, there's also this overabundance of love and mm. compassion that I've witnessed that just tells me he is real mm. and very engaged. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. It's a really hard question to answer. Yes, but. it does. It does. Yeah, well, what's been your your process for mental, just like clearing, like how do you engage with your wife on things? Like, do you guys talk about everything? You know, like how are you interacting as like a human on earth when you're kind of in these incredibly dark situations so often? So really good question. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of always searching mm -hmm. for that. My faith and family are paramount to me. Um, there's things I can't burden my wife with mm -hmm. as she's taking care of all of our children and I'm gone and I cannot come back and be like, so you won't believe what I just saw. Mm. It's enough for her to know that I'm out pretending to be something like a monster. Yeah. yeah. And she not only lets me, but it actually encourages me to do it. And in fact, there's times when I've said to her, I don't want to go on this one. I don't want to leave the family again. I'm gone so much. And she said to me, you have to go. Cause I don't know what blessings I might not get if you don't mm -hmm. go. Aww. So that's her perspective. Mm -hmm. She knows we're supposed to be doing this. Um, so I have a few people that I can talk to. Mm -hmm. I do see ther mm -hmm. a therapist mm -hmm. who I talk to. Um, but I've been going through, I've been working this for almost 20 years. And I was always told, you're going to have a crashing point at some point. You can't see this and deal with it. And I always thought I was fine. Actually, the more I'm in it, the harder it gets. It's not easier. It's actually harder. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I am now starting for the first time to experience mm. some of that, those crashing points. Mm. So um, my hours to my therapist have been going up. Mm. I'm not embarrassed to admit. Mm. So I don't think it, it doesn't, it's not easy. It doesn't get easier. And I'm, and I'm again, telling this to your, to your audience, who I hope is not turning us off mm -hmm. and saying, yes, it hurts. I'm like, we're not going to lie to you and tell mm -hmm. you that it's is easy to listen to this. Mm -hmm. But if we don't, the suffering is just going to just in intensify and grow mm -hmm. of these children. Mm. Yeah. What does a crashing point look like for you? Like what's been a time where you're like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. Um, I mean, the, the, the worst one I ever had was last year. I, it was just like, I, I think I didn't know what, what PTSD really was. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in this field experience it when you're watching so much of this. And I just hit this point last, last, late last year where it was, I mean, it overcame me completely. We were actually staging in, in Florida for an operation we were about to go do in South America the night before, and I just had this uh, this full on crash. Um, mm. One of my good friends is Tony Robbins, and he happened to live. He lives. He wasn't. He didn't live far from where I was. It was like midnight. And I'm texting. I'm like, something's happening to me. He's like, he's like, get your ass over here right now. Mm. So I spent from like midnight until four in the morning at his house, and him and his wife just mm. like Sage is his, his wife mm -hmm. is just the most beautiful human, mm -hmm. and they just um, ministered to me. Wow. And I mean, it was a, this beautiful and horrific night. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it takes its toll for sure. Mm -hmm. This kind of work. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually really beautiful to see Tony talk about mm -hmm. and just be a huge, huge supporter of, for a long time of Operation Underground Railroad. Yeah. Yeah. He's been, he's been a supporter for quite some time. He actually, he was supporting us. And then he said, can I see it? 
Mm. I want to see it. I said, yeah. So we brought him on an operation and wow. actually inserted him. And that's controversial to some who would say, why would you do that? Da, 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 da. I'll do it if it's going to help save more kids. Mm-hmm. Um, William Liberforce, who was one of my heroes from British history from the 19th century who ended the slave trade in Britain. Mm. He would do that. He would actually trick influencers. He'd, he was very wealthy. He'd bring him on the, on his little schooner or whatever, his boat, mm-hmm. his, and he, he'd have him like t- for dinner. And then he'd like tell the captain to bump the boat up against the slave ship. And he'd get up and s- say, smell that, see that this is what we are doing, you know? And, and then those people would be converted. Mm-hmm. Now I don't have to trick people. Someone like Tony wants to see it, but you take an influencer and put them in and let them see what it is. He literally watched children be sold and bought. He heard the trafficker talk to me about the 10 year old. He had just raped and made a video of, and he's just sitting back going, well, wow. we had this, well, I'll show you a picture, but we mm-hmm. had, a, we had a disguise on him. Like you wouldn't believe, but he, he but, um, after that, that's when he really just, just committed in, in, in ways that, I mean, millions of dollars sent down range to, to help these children. Mm-hmm. So it's been amazing. Wow. Yeah, he's so tapped in. Truly. Very tapped into something that's like otherworldly. His wife even more, by the way. Really? Yeah, her yeah. name's Sage. Sage is Sage. like, it's like a predictive almost. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it like is. Sage the Sage. Mm-hmm. She is Sage the Sage. So I, I work a lot in Caribbean, Latin mm-hmm. America. And so the, a launching point for us, our staging point is often Florida. Mm-hmm. That's where we put our disguises mm-hmm. on and kind of meet. And we almost always, before we go into the field, at least the teams that head in that direction, we go to Sage and Tony's home mm-hmm. and she has this beautiful prayer room. And they're, they're very, they're just such spiritual people mm-hmm. and they tap into all different forms of spirituality and, and fill that, just fill you with light. Mm-hmm. And I was just there, we did not two weeks ago and we were there again and they, and they just pray. She has a list of the children. She has pictures of the kids that we're looking for. And, and she'll just text me and say, I just prayed for this one. I'm just doing this. I mean, it's just, it's a really, really cool, just wow. powerful partnership we have with, with Sage and Tony. Wow. And the power of prayer. Yeah. You know, there's actually new studies out. I need to like find the firm information (laughs) about they compared two groups of people. I don't know if they were fosters a long time ago, but those had been, that had been prayed for and those that had not. And there was actually like an actual difference in the experience in the life outcome of people that people had prayed for, um, which is really true. We have a prayer role. In fact, like wow. right before an operation, we can't say where or what, mm-hmm. but people can sign up to where it's just, they'll just get a message saying something's about to go down. We need everyone to just drop to your knees right mm-hmm. now oh, wow. and just pray for this. Mm-hmm. To, and we're, so yeah, we know that's a real principle and a, and one that we use. Mm. Mm. What is, what is bringing you joy right now? The one good thing about this fight, cause it's so dark Mm-hmm. When I was in the government, it was a, a more, a much more lonely fight because mm-hmm. you couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. But one reason we created the foundation was so that we could talk about it because we recognized strength in numbers and people could all rise up and do something about it. Um, but that's how the legalized form of slavery was ended in the United States, mm-hmm. by the way. You know, there's a precedent for this. I love Abraham Lincoln, but it wasn't that he just one day raised his hand and said, we're going to end this. 
he was moved upon by the masses. The masses were the abolitionist voices. Mm -hmm. Harriet Beecher Stowe, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass. He's, they just got, for whatever reason, they just got loud mm -hmm. in that moment and brought this light. And even when, when Lincoln met Harriet Beecher Stowe for the first time, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was one of the powerful lights mm -hmm. that, that, that exposed what slavery was, he admitted, he said to her, so you're the lady that wrote the book that started this war. Mm. So that's one thing I've got to experience is amidst the darkness of modern day slavery and trafficking is meeting so many people of light mm -hmm. that have stood up and, and their emails of like, I don't know why I'm just attracted to you guys. And, but God told me, God told mm -hmm. me there's like this almost a spiritual conversion to the wow. cause. And that's been very healing for me to see, especially in the, in the darkest days of running this foundation and doing this kind of work is seeing on the other hand, but look at this mm. for all the, for, for the, for every piece of darkness, there's a million pieces of light mm -hmm. that, that are people. So it's a weird kind of combination of like losing faith in humanity and simultaneously gaining mm -hmm. <laughs> faith in humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also think too, it's like, I can lose faith in humanity, but not in God. You know, sometimes it's like, well, when we look at all the darkness of the world, it's like, well, that's different for me than God. Like that is the the separation from God. You know, when mm -hmm. we're looking at all that happens, that is of course of God's creation, but it's our free will choice. So it's not necessarily something that God's like, God is allowing to happen, but it's more so our free will to choose it, yes. you know, of the experience. Mm -hmm. I would love just like, as we're wrapping up to just share, you know, what our audience can do as like next steps, what they can look out for. What do you think are like action items for them? If I could give a call to action mm -hmm. to your audience right now, and it's not always the same, but right now, as I sit here, what came to me was I would invite them all to go onto Amazon mm -hmm. Prime and watch Operation Two Saint. Mm -hmm. Um, T-O-U-S-S-A-I-N-T, -S -S Operation Two Saint. Mm -hmm. You'll learn why when you watch the movie, why mm -hmm. it's called that. It's a documentary, Emmy nominated. And I would ask them to do two things as they're watching it. One, identify three people to send the link to and have them watch mm -hmm. it. And two, open yourself up to your spirituality, to, to mm -hmm. God. And, and at the end of the movie, have an answer for what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. To, to fight this, whether it's working with us or any number of organizations out there, what are you going to do to fight mm -hmm. for these kids? Mm -hmm. And if you go to OURrescue.org and hit join the fight, we can help with some ideas about what they can do. But I really, I would encourage people to fight it in any way. There's lots of great organizations. Mm -hmm. Find one, mm -hmm. whatever it is, mm -hmm. and just everyone stand up and do something. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Thank you so, mm -hmm. so, so Thank much. You so Thank much. you. Feeling so lucky. Um, and can you just mention where they can follow and on Instagram? Because I know everyone's kind of- It's at O-U-R rescue. Got it. Mm -hmm. okay, and then, if cool. they, and then I, I sometimes take people into more personal if, mm -hmm. you, if they go at Tim Ballard 89. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Why 89? Um, so Football you're the, number? You're the first person that's ever asked me that. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like- that ain't, you your, know that ain't your birth year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 89 is the number of, of signers cumulatively of the Declaration of Independence and wow. of the Constitution. There's 89 people that signed both of those. 
And to me, those are documents that kind of set the standard for what liberty should be. Also, 1789 mm-hmm. was the year that George Washington took his, his inaugural address and he dedicated the land to God and to freedom. People don't like to recognize that's what he was doing, but mm-hmm. that's when he, he said, um, he gave a speech, the first speech, it was the day the constitution came to be really. And he said, the smiles of heaven can never be expected upon a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. Mm-hmm. In other words, be good and liberty and blessings will come. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's something we believe in. I think if, if more people would, uh, would kind of take that to heart, there'd be a lot less child sex abuse mm-hmm. and other things. So mm-hmm. thank you for asking. Literally the first person ever to ask me. Mm-hmm. I what know. the 89 stands for. <laughs> and like, it's such a cool story, wasn't it? Yes. That's, 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 a, loaded, that's a loaded that, number. That was. That, that, that <laughs> I was like, football, meant you have to give your know. speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. You have to give your, your speech, which is key. Oh. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much. Everything will be in the show notes for you guys to connect with, and we will see you on the next one. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tim. We appreciate you and thank you all for listening. You can learn more, you can donate, you can volunteer at ourrescue.org and make sure to watch the documentary on Amazon Prime. It's called Operation Toussaint. You can also uh, learn more about the Nazarene Fund, which he mentioned in this episode uh, by going to thenazarenefund.org. And then his wife, Catherine, founded Children Need Families. You can visit cnfnow.org. We'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.